Welcome back to our book club for the Rebecca Harkness biography, Blue Blood by Craig Unger. Yes, welcome back to the Archer's book club, Blue Blood. If only we had done this. I feel like that would have been so fun if we had done a book club for Seven Husbands. And it probably would have helped you read it uh ultimately if we had kind of made it be chapter by chapter no yeah it probably would have helped because instead it's i read it all me. in one day yes <laughs> <laughs> after procrastinating it for weeks for months <laughs> months okay yeah like, exactly. if that's not the most adhd thing like yeah yeah <sighs> Yeah, I am because it is helping me because it this is a hard book to get through for me. Yeah. It's just yeah. um it's a very it's like when I'm reading it, I'm like this is easy breezy. Like it's not like it's dense by any means. It's like very much like reading a magazine article. Yeah. But it's like the kind of people you're reading about and like the unsavory characters that we're meeting along the way. And by unsavory characters, you know, I do mean real life people, supposedly, since this book is allegedly nonfiction and Mm -hmm. an alleged biography. But it's just like, oh, my God, it's like every character is insufferable. It's so hard to read a book where you don't like anyone in it. For me personally. Yeah, it's a it's a hate read. And maybe that's why I like it, because I I only hate watch like shows, too. Um, so I am hate reading this because I'm like, this is just written about a bunch of like billionaires from like the fifties. Yeah. Um, and like the ridiculous lives that they led and like them all being pieces of shit in different ways. Yeah. Um, I think that's a part of them being insufferable is the fact that they're incredibly rich. Um, but it is a hate read and it is fun. Yeah. And I feel like, um, I mean, we're going to jump into that in like a few minutes, but uh, I feel like especially starting off this chapter, like this section we'll be doing chapters six through 10 uh, or six through 11. Did you do six through 11? What are your little notes about? I did read through 11, even though we said 10. Um, Okay, great. But yeah, yeah, so reading six through 10, it's like starting off with about her son, Alan, uh, Rebecca Harkness's son, Alan, and just, like, what a caricature he is. I swear to God, I feel like I'm reading The Great Gatsby while I read this, too. Um, yeah. Like, it's all very, very, very Great Gatsby vibes because of the, like, sheer decadence and, like, unreal wealth and kind of, like, selfishness. Mm-hmm. People yeah. don't know how to act with that much wealth. Like, mm-hmm. if I had that much wealth, I'd probably be just as much of a piece of shit. Well, that's the thing. I wouldn't collect that much wealth. So, exactly. Like, if you're when you have that, that much point, money, like, yeah. What do you do? Like, what do you even do other than just be a piece of shit all the time? I know. Exactly. And okay, so this is the thing. My like, um, not you know, for lack of a better term, like guilty pleasure media that I consume is a not even guilty pleasure that doesn't describe it truly it's like my comfort like my core comfort media that i consume um are these romance novels called um or not called these romance novels by the author beverly jenkins um Mm. and i like she's been writing since like the 90s so every like 
couple of months I'll read a new one because they she just has like an infinite backlog um, mm. and they're like my favorite favorite Amazing. books like I truly love them so much and the majority of them are historical um, and they take place in like the uh, western United States like after the Civil War um, and they're all about like African Americans and like Native Americans living in the West at that time. Um, Beverly Jenkins is a oh. black romance novelist. This isn't like a random white woman writing about this. Oh, thank um, God. Thank God. But like, so she mostly does historical, but she started this modern series um, called uh, like the Blessing series. And it takes place in the modern day fictional town that Tupelo? her historical exactly that her historic novels take place in so she has oh. all of her historic romances and then she has a modern day series that are about the ancestors of her historic uh, places and it's so yeah. exciting because they'll talk about like their great grandfather and I'll be like I read the romance novel about him this um, universe is so cool it is so cool. And that's why it's like my little comfort media that I that I consume. Yeah. Um, because it's like everyone, it's it like only happy endings. Everyone knows each other. It's so blissful and amazing. Um, I love that. But this is kind of like what reading Blue Blood is. Because they keep talking yeah. about things that fucking Taylor talks about. And like they keep talking mm-hmm. about the Holiday House. And they keep talking about Watch Hill. And I'm that's like. That's why I'm like, this is such a. It's the same universe vibe. It's the same universe. Yes. And it's like, it also, you know, as opposed to my entirely, or not my, but like Beverly Jenkins' entirely fictional universe that's past and present. This is supposedly nonfiction. Like, we supposedly live in the same world as Rebecca Harkness and Taylor Swift. But for all intents and purposes, it does not feel that way reading this book. No. Oh no. That's why no. whenever we say non-fictional supposedly, it's like Yeah. It, and we kind of talked about this in the first like part of it too, but like this book may as well be a fictional biography because of the fact that there are barely any facts in it. It really all just relies on word of mouth and like people's stories and folklore. Um uh, yes. and like the myth of Rebecca Harkness, which is very much Willow, which she wrote at the Rebecca Harkness house, which is very much like that's my myth, very much folklore. Um, the reason she like made up things in the song The Last Great American Dynasty too, because any of it, all of it is made up, truly. Like, yeah. talk about making shit up. This is the Archer's <laughs> brand. That's true. That's really true. Damn. I guess the Archer's is just following in a long line of fiction non fictional nonfiction. Yeah. Queer yeah. folklore. Queer folklore. Mm, I love that. But yeah, it it does all feel very made up because it well honestly a lot of it probably is. And there's I'll get to like one part too mm. where I was like you can just tell that depending on who the person is that they're talking to, they are coloring the story with how they remember it and their own biases oh, and their God, own kind yeah. of like how they want to be oh, portrayed yes. too. Yes! So In it's such so a funny. blatant way. And Craig yes. Unger, and even the author... He's eating it up. Yeah, he's weird. 
He is yeah. eating it up. <laughs> he loves the contradictions and he loves the fact that everyone is just like saying different shit about themselves, about Rebecca. Like, it's very, and it makes sense because what is the real story? Even Rebecca doesn't know. So, that's the thing too is we're not getting any, 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 any explanation from Rebecca because she is dead by the time this book is being written. So it's literally mm-hmm. all word of mouth about everyone but her. It's like devastating mm-hmm. that we don't actually get any perspective of her. She's the most mysterious yeah. character in this book when it's fucking about her. And th- yeah, th- we'll get to one part where I think is the most what I feel like the most accurate description of Rebecca. Okay, but good. even then, still, the person who says it is also suspicious. So, yeah, we'll see. Exactly. Um, okay. Great. Let's dive right in. So we left off after chapter five, The Golden Cage. In between five and six, there's kind of like a photo book interlude of photos of Rebecca, of the people in the book who spoke. So like her husbands, a couple of like her kids, um, people from the ballet company, things like that. One of the funniest ones was a photo of a sticker, and it just said, Repent, your time is at hand. And Rebecca made these stickers and put them on people's backs, on socialites' backs at, like, some bougie party in St. Louis. Like, she had these, like, rich socialites walking around with a sticker on their back that said, Repent, your time is at hand. That is so funny. Where is, and like, that's like like almost the saddest part is how fucking funny she was when she was a teenager. Yeah. Like, and when she was like a young adult, um, it's like devastating that she was so funny. And then she just becomes like consumed by like mass insane wealth. And it's like that Mm -hmm. sense of humor. I I don't, I don't think left her, but it's like, it definitely Mm -hmm. became more cruel and complicated. And yeah. Like, it turned mean. It turned it mean. quickly. Yeah, instead of yes. being like a reverent and like um dark, it turns like cruel. Yeah. 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 I totally agree. But I will see too, like there's so many references where Rebecca's like low key anti capitalist, but I don't think she knew it because she had exactly. so much money. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> like, yes. It's really interesting because she doesn't like rich people, but then no. she became one and then didn't like herself. And that's yeah. why it became cruel and mean. Ugh. Ugh. Um, another interesting thing that they just kind of like spilled in the photo interlude captions, not even like they didn't talk about this at all yet, is that Rebecca's brother tried to propose to her bestie, Jane, at one point and Jane rejected him. And that was just so, like, Emily Dickinson vibes to me. Like, I was like, I I don't understand why he would propose if not for, like, obviously social, like, climbing reasons or, like... Right. Exactly. Yeah. Just status marriage, you know? Yeah. 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 Um... But yeah, those were just the two interesting things from that little photo interlude. It was also good to see photos of her more because on Google there's, like, four that get circulated and copied and pasted but this one actually had more photos um so we get into chapter six which is called the black sheep um and it talks about how she finds another husband named kian and they got married 
in I don't know how to pronounce this Gustad. Yeah, Gustad. Yeah. Um, Gustad, and she said that the entire ceremony was in French, so she didn't know what they were talking about. Um, but she does know that she didn't have. <laughs> this is a direct quote. She didn't have to promise to obey like they do in those barbarian countries like New York. I'm sure no queen or anyone ever had a gayer, more amusing, or happier wedding. So she's basically like, I didn't understand the language that the ceremony was in, but I do know that I'm not obeying to him, even if we're married. (laughs) Yes. That's just so, so funny. Uh, Like, ugh. Like, she's like, I don't really give a shit what they said during the ceremony because I'm married now and that's all I know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it was so whirlwind. Like, they literally met two days before. Or they didn't. I don't think they met two days before they got married. But they had a whirl, they, like, a decided. true whirlwind romance. Yeah. Um, and then when they went to Gustad, they decided to get married and they got married within two days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and so just very like very tom hiddleston uh so true tra- flying around the world um like that really reminded me of of that whole thing oh my god that is so tom yeah in general he just really reminds me of tom this this um husband because it does seem to be like the cool one like the fact that right like something that really shocked me was the nickname that he got for her right he had for her yeah yeah which was karma can you fucking believe that her so okay this is her third husband at this point right I don't even know, dude. I I genuinely couldn't tell you because the way that they talk about her life is not in chronological order. Exactly. I'm also struggling with that. It Um, might be her third or fourth. I don't. Third or fourth, but definitely, yeah, definitely after Bill Harkness died, and she's 45 at this point. I think 45, 46, maybe. So it might be her second, it might be her third, or excuse me, it might be her third, it might be her fourth. But regardless, yeah. this is post her getting super into the the occult. Mm-hmm. Um, and like having her little team of mystics everywhere. And finding out yeah. that her nickname was Karma, like blew me away especially because she was so gleefully delighted that her nickname was karma like she fucking ate it up right and she was already into reincarnation at this point from her like from jane not her bestie but the other psychic that she had yes and like suddenly disappeared named jane like had taught her about reincarnation and she really was obsessed with that aspect of like spirituality yeah um but yeah, like you said, Keon was the cool one and he was like really into Buddhism and he really like incorporated it into um, even like the ballet company. He was having them say like Buddhist affirmations while they were doing oh. ballet. And like they said that it helped them like jump higher and dance better and whatever. So I think that this was just another catalyst for like Rebecca's own like spiritual psychosis yeah. of yeah. <laughs> like uh, uh, well put, truly. <laughs> 
you know? Um, not that I'm not into spirituality, obviously, but I've no, also been in my psychosis course. era, so I can say that. Exactly. Um, no, exactly. Also, <laughs> do you ever think about Taylor reading this and being like, oh, Rebecca believed in reincarnation. I am Rebecca Harkness, reincarnated. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely, I do. I definitely think that. I'm, oh, God, I think about reincarnation all the time because it's, like, truly the only, like, concept. Like, not going, not attaching any, like, specific faith tradition to reincarnation. Just my own kind of speculation on like what uh, like idea of it like what reincarnation feels like to me is like the most intuitive kind of like after we die solution that i have because like i don't really understand the idea of only being on this plane of existence for such a short amount of time to spend infinity yeah in like a blissful paradise like that doesn't really make intuitive sense to me yeah or obviously i i have the same a hellscape. Kind of belief. Like, energy doesn't die. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're here. Now. <laughs> exactly. Um, That's where we are now, so. Uh, I, like, energy doesn't die, so. Yeah. Even if I don't believe, which I don't know if I do, like, actual, like, souls reincarnating into different people or yeah. animals or yeah, alive yeah, yeah. things. It's just the fact that energy recycles itself. Totally. Period. Period. Exactly. Um, okay, so... About, like, who she's surrounding herself with, something I found very interesting about this chapter, the black sheep in con- yeah. in in question is Rebecca's oldest son, Alan. Yeah. Who was from her first marriage yeah. and was seven when she married Bill Harkness, so the heir to the Standard Oil. Um, first of all, in the last great last great american dynasty to like taylor does not these kids do not exist in that book in that song excuse me in that song i mean yeah they don't exist to rebecca either so (laughs) exactly and like that's another instance of like taylor being so not caring about children and like truly not getting the point of children that i'm like what are swifties not grasping taylor does not want children she does not think about them it is not a goal she's weirded out and kind of grossed out by them um she likes the idea of being an auntie i think an auntie like she likes like to be an like an aunt no, like oh, an aunt. auntie, an like auntie. auntie. I was like, she's auntie children. Sorry. No, <laughs> exactly. Which you know, we both can relate to being a great little uh, exactly aunties ourselves. So it's the queer oh, no. manifesto. Just be the aunt. Oh my god, no! It went away. Oh no, it didn't. Okay, good. So, anyways, this whole chapter of the Black Sheep is about Alan. Um, and this quote killed me. I have to read it. Yes. <sighs> Um, so in general, he was hypersensitive that his mother cared more for her art than for motherhood. Getting her attention had been difficult enough. Now, as Alan saw her start to surround herself with, quote, parasites, dancers, fortune tellers, and conniving shyster lawyers. And then later on. 
so that's how she descri- he describes her like friend group at, at first. But then he says, quote, I objected to all the perverts running around. It blew my mind. There's no way I was going to put up with all the fairies flying off the floor. The blackmailing lawyers, the weirdos, the people in the trances. And they thought I needed help. (laughs) Because that's the thing. Alan is like crazy. So crazy. So abusive. um, Literally does so many fucked up things. Um which is like you know whatever. Obviously, he has a traumatized and childhood. And is because... homophobic. Well, that's the yeah. thing. So it he paints a picture that is consistent with like everything we've been saying. That Rebecca's surrounding herself with queer weirdos all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Psychics and dancers and fairies dancers and perverts. And fairies. She like is yeah. making her own personal little Midsummer's Night dream. Like gay haven wherever she goes Right Yeah so I'm just like fascinated With the fact that like the main Part of being close to her was like Why are you spending so much time with gay people Like why is my mom obsessed with being around gay people Yeah Yeah Oh, I totally forgot about that part I kind of left a lot of like the Alan stuff out Because it was like really sad Yeah why wouldn't you yeah exactly But I forgot that he said that. That's really acknowledging the fact that she was just in a gay circus. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oof. Um, I believe that was all for chapter six. It was a lot about Alan Alan. and about this next husband. Um, The, The craziest takeaway truly is just the karma nickname. Like, are you kidding? Yeah. I know. And, you know, when I had taken a pause at chapter five for this book for a few weeks, I was like, maybe I'm maybe I'm reaching on a lot of these. Maybe there's not that many connections and I'm just like kind of finding them. But then once I got to chapter six and read the karma thing, I was like, no, I'm not reaching. No. I'm not reaching at all. No, <laughs> no. Um, so chapter seven is titled Dreams of Glory. And it pretty much is exactly what it sounds like. Rebecca had these, like, crazy delusions that she was... I mean, she kind of did end up turning into this in a weird way. But, like, she was going to be, like, the king of the ballet world. Yes. And of that... Of the dance world. That was kind of her dream always. Even though everyone around her was like, she's not that good at dancing or at composing music. God, (laughs) no. This poor woman. I know. Um, so in order to achieve these dreams of glory, Rebecca decides to sponsor Joffrey Ballet, um, in 1956, which I'm surprised I didn't hear about this as like a former ballerina that learned a lot about Joffrey Mm. and the history, but they probably exclude a lot of this from it because it was so messy and like not pristine and clean ballet actions happening um so this was 1956 and she invited the entire ballet company to watch hill to stay with her and renovated the firehouse that she previously bought in watch hill um into a dance studio she like raised the ceiling seven feet so they could do their jumps and lifts and stuff um and someone had said to rebecca money was no object so she did things that others wouldn't dream of 
and wow. which is so anti-capitalist like she didn't even know but she was like yeah i can spend money on bringing all these dancers here and making them a new dance studio and staying in my bougie house like why can't i of course that's what i want to spend my money on because i want to be the king of ballet I know. I think that is so, I think that's so fascinating that you point out that the mere act of spending money on something that's like not quote unquote frivolous to other people, frivolous to other people is kind of like inherently anti-capitalist because you are giving up your capital. Um, to You're other redistributing people. wealth. You're redistributing in a way. the wealth to dancers. Yeah. yeah. To dancers and to the carpenters I, that's who are I, building these things. Yeah. Yeah. Like you are paying people instead of just investing your money elsewhere and having it sit somewhere. Sit like, somewhere, yeah. Yeah. Which obviously isn't like anti-capitalist in and of itself but when i think no, of it on no. like this giant level of well like, yeah because it, grand expressions of wealth is still very much in the like super bougies uh like very like to be a capitalist is to have grand displays of wealth obviously yeah like lord knows like donald trump spends so much money to make his life look lavish and he's definitely not Mm anti-capitalist but it's like no yeah rebecca is always spending money on other people which is why again like it's just a very great gatsby to me like they're always exactly they're so that epitome of new money because like the the difference between new money and old money is old money keeps it close, never spending it. Exactly. Always keeping it in the family. And new mm-hmm. money spends, 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 spends um, because mm-hmm. they like see it as money is, which is opportunity and like the creation of other exactly. things. Yeah. Like so many people made comments about Rebecca's use of her wealth and the Harkness wealth and how disappointing it was and like disrespectful and the ways that she spent the money and this and that. And I'm like, okay, but the ways that you all, the billionaires who were speaking of Rebecca also spend your money is stupid. So like, is there a right way to spend money? No, exactly. And if there is a right way, it's to spend it on people with less than you. So just because Rebecca wasn't spending it and investing it into all of your billionaire CEO companies, doesn't mean that she wasn't using it wisely. Like, It's so interesting because no one could do this now. I feel like like I feel like Rebecca Harkness, if she existed in 2022, wouldn't even be able to use her wealth in this way. Like no financials advisors wouldn't allow her like the bank wouldn't allow her. Yeah, literally, they would be like, no, you are one of the most wealthy people in this country. You can't just give it out to people (laughs) exactly and also Uh, magazines like Forbes magazines or whatever like are always talking about like this person dropped off the list of being a billionaire because they gave they donated their money like they're not as rich because they donate their money whereas people like bill gates bill gates never fucking drops off the list because his supposed charities and like the supposed donations he's making are in his own fucking name and belong to him mm-hmm. and like, they're like all this tax write off they're just laundering they're just laundering <laughs> just money money laundering yes yeah. whereas back back in the day or whatever and still i think if you try really hard you can actually create organizations but, like the only way that you can maintain having the money that you have is if you don't spend it or only spend it to make more of it. 
So, like, it is mm-hmm. nice to see her ruining the standard oil fortune this way. That is a nice yeah, aspect it's hilarious. of this. It's the pain and torture she leaves in her wake that's disappointing. Yeah. Not the fact that the fucking money oh, yeah. is gone. <laughs> exactly. Like, everyone addresses, oh, she wasted so much money. It's like, okay, what about all the people and her yeah. traumatized children? Like. Yeah. Everyone's so distraught over her spending of the Harkness fortune. Like, it doesn't Ugh. fucking matter. No, not even That's a little. the least of a normal person's concern reading this. Like, exactly. Um, so, yeah, this gets into then kind of her wanting to be this, like, ballet king investor, like, savior to the dance industry. And someone was like... She didn't know anything about ballet, though. Like, again, someone else commenting about how she doesn't know anything about music. And they said there was a basic lack of understanding of the nature of music, of composing, a lack of intuition. Why her incompetence in music should be coupled with such an impassioned desire to do just that is something I could never understand. Mm, Yeah. So they've now mentioned at least three times that she loved composing, but was so fucking bad at it. And again, this is one of those times where I'm going to say I feel bad for rich people because her lack of intuition and her lack of nature of music and all of that. It's very hard to be an artist when you haven't like, dare I say, struggled. I don't know if that's the right word, but like art comes from destruction. Yes. Yeah. And I think that lack of intuition is is comes from having that much wealth. Mm. You don't have to have intuition when everything is taken care of for you. And you can pay for it all to be taken care of. Uh, no, that is And that exactly might be right. this might just be a take of my own. I wouldn't say that this is like a fact for anyone listening that is like what the fuck are you talking about? But like the way that I've encountered rich people and yeah. have observed rich people live through the world I, they do lack intuition because they don't have to think i think that that's a very common quality you see in rich people like people that were born into wealth and have only accumulated wealth passively because that's the thing is i you know there's so much nuance here. Like, is marrying a man yes. a passive act of income? Like, no, it requires a lot of energy and effort to marry, like, a man, of course. But so I'm not trying to say it's before that. She was wealthy before that. And then the wealth she did inherit was definitely not equal to the amount of work that she put because, like, no billionaire's yeah. work ethic yeah. is equal to the wealth they have. Is equal. <laughs> that's, that's what I mean. No, exactly. Exactly. So, like, I think it's very sad that these people born into wealth and privilege who only know wealth and privilege don't have to grow to gain things. Exactly. They don't have to learn and and challenge. They don't need to have challenges. And, like, Mm -hmm. that's kind of why instances like I mean it's like funny it's like if you're not born because people think of like people like Taylor 
and Mozart, kind of these like prodigies. It's like mm-hmm. prodigies are born into families of like all across different wealth um, points. You oh, know, yeah. like there are prodigies being born into poverty and there are prodigies, prodigies being born right. into billionaire families and everywhere in between. And then the ones we know Taylor, are because of the privilege. Exactly. Ninety nine percent of the ones we know are being born in privilege. And then there's someone like Oprah who like Oprah is truly a like genius kind of like communications, like entertainment um, personality who did kind of achieve that goal. And like, it's because she has like a very specific brain that she's able to achieve that. But then there's people like, you know, Taylor who also has the brain and also is so smart but, like, she was able to achieve this at 16, what took Oprah, right. th- th- like, more than 30 years to achieve. Right. And it was because she had so much privilege and ability to do this. So Right. That's the difference. Th- so those are prodigies. Then you have the vast majority of people that are successful who aren't prodigies. But, like, because they have access to things, they're able to learn and grow and, like, become good at things. And, like, that's, I think, your kind of, like, run-of-the-mill, not-born-from-privilege, like, like, artist is, like, you know, whether they had, like, a middle-class background or they were poor, it's, like, they're able to grow and thrive and, like, acquire these skills and then they reach yeah. like res- a point of respect, and I think that yeah. Rebecca Harkness could have reached that point because she was so yeah. passionate about ballet and she was so passionate about music that if she was born in another situation, she could have actually had experiences and like had to live and think on her own enough that she could cultivate those right. things. Like if she was born, no one ever told her no. No if one she ever told been her told no. No, at the beginning of her music and like composing career, and someone was like, "You're really bad at this, Rebecca." You're she would have gotten this. better. Get better, or you're not gonna. You're not yes. gonna make it. She would have gotten better, but she had rich people that are not rich people, but people she was paying that yes. needed her income, needed her money. Of course, they're gonna be yes men and be like, "Yeah, yes. Rebecca sounds great. I don't care. Pay me for another lesson tomorrow." Like. But she has no opportunity to grow and change because she throws money at everything. Yeah. So it's like not even like because I think that it is played out that like, you know, comedians have to have like these tortured internal lives in order to be funny. (laughs) And like artists need to like be starving artists in order to create good art. Like you don't need to be in poverty to create. Exactly. But it's like you need to have challenges in your life to grow as a human being and she had no challenges like i don't think anyone should have to suffer of course not and especially not to be an artist but it's just a pattern that i've noticed where like rich people don't have intuition which is what fuels art because they never have to use their intuition if you like they're just given everything always have someone telling you where you should be going or are supposed to go, then of course you don't have to use your intuition to figure out your next step 
Like, I feel like the best example of this is Elon Musk. Like, Elon Musk is the epitome of white mediocrity. He has done, like, absolutely nothing to contribute to any single thing he's ever done. All he does is buy and destroy and move on to the next thing. Like, same with Trump. Trump is the exact same way. Like, both of them, born into money, have no skills, only are bad at things. But because they keep, like being told yes 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 at every turn Mm -hmm. they're never growing they're never actually getting good at these things that they supposedly want to get good at and like rebecca is just a very like feminine version of those things like thank god instead of like real estate or casinos or like tech companies her interests were ballet and music composing right so like much lower stakes down yeah 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 (laughs) But at the same time, like... I guess I don't feel bad for them. It's just a bad situation. And I don't think it's how humans should live. I don't feel bad for rich people. I'm really bad at wording things sometimes when it comes to, like, feeling compassion for people that don't deserve it. Um, Well, no, but Madison, what I want to say is that, like, I... It's like, I... My mind is working in two different ways. Where, like, on one level, I'm like... I would never, ever, ever, you know, be that poet that was like dear putin i wish i was your mother <laughs> Ew, like, I, feel like... I could have treated you right yes. i could have saved you <laughs> like if only you weren't such a cruel person i wish i was your mother like i will never ever ever do that publicly but like because <laughs> that's not how i feel in like a public runway but like at the same time and to a far lesser extent like if somehow i was put in the literal fiery depths of hell and had to talk to Elon Musk or Donald Trump. <laughs> like, I think that like one-on-one with them, I absolutely would meet them not with anger and like accusations and not like disgust. Yeah. But I think that my natural state would be to be like, I feel so fucking bad for you. Right. You lead a miserable existence. I cannot right. help but feel miserable for you. And I have to bring this to your attention that you do yes. lead a miserable experience because of the money that you have. Yes. So when yeah, you said, and it like, is very I've one-on-one, been... yeah. Yeah, so when you said, I, I feel would, bad for I rich would... people, I'm like, yeah. exactly so do I. But it's like there's a difference between meeting someone as a human being and feeling bad for them yeah. and then being like, poor Rebecca Harkness, she had no idea what she's getting into. It's like she left so yeah. much destruction in her wake. Like, yeah. bad, bad, bad choices. And if I met her right now, I would literally be like, do you want to cry? Like, are you okay? Like, do you want to talk? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, go, no, yeah. like, poor thing. I come from a place of, like, trying to build solidarity all the time. And that's how you build solidarity is by coming exactly. from a place of empathy and understanding. Yes. So that's where I'm always coming from. But I want everyone to know I still do really hate rich people and I want them all to die anyway. <laughs> um... So, on to, um, (laughs) on to chapter eight. (laughs) Um, I'm, I'm seeing if there was anything else in chapter seven. I know we're moving slow. Um, she tried to pay off the co-founder of New York City Ballet to let them compose, let her compose a piece for them. And he responded, no one needs money that bad. Um, (gasps) Oh, my God. So someone finally did say no. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. And she probably just took it as like, a well, he's an idiot anyways. Um, 
Exactly. Uh, the Taharian Journal compared Rebecca to Barbara Hutton, Doris Duke, and Elizabeth Taylor around this time because of wow. her celebrity. Oh my god, I love that she was a celebrity. Yeah, and then she started just becoming a celebrity because of her involvement in like the ballet and art world. Um, oh my god. So around this time, she also bought a 15-room penthouse apartment in New York, and she um, invited the entire Russian ballet company to the apartment, and she bought it specifically for this event um, and said, if they're going to be exposed to capitalism, it may as well be in one fell swoop. Wow. She said, I'll show them a 15-room apartment penthouse in New York if... If they're going to be in it, they're going to be in it. I would love to hear what those um, Soviet dancers felt about that exposure to capitalism. Right? I feel like most of them were no, like, right? what the fuck? Like, this is terrifying. Yeah. I love that the U.S. Because she's already insane. Exactly. I love that the U.S. myth is that, like, Soviets would come to the U.S. or, like, anyone that was under communism or socialism would come to the U.S. and be like, it's so amazing here. Oh, I want right. it so bad. But like the vast majority of people were like, "This is so disturbed." Up. Like I'd yes. rather be in that who hell died than for I this apartment. In. Yes. No, literally. Exactly. Like uh. I'd rather the devil I know than this like deranged, horrific devil that I don't know. <laughs> literally, literally. Um. So. Joffrey, the owner of the company, had become kind of unreachable at this point, and Rebecca was, like, mostly funding the Joffrey Ballet at this point, so she just kind of ended up taking over, because she could. Oh, my God. Um, And this is something that's interesting, this kind of point of tension in the Joffrey and Harkness beef, because it's, they frame it in a way that's very much, this was all Rebecca's fault, because she took over because she decided to take over um even people in the ballet world believe that it, this was all her fault but at what point do we look at the fact that joffrey abandoned his company and what was rebecca supposed to do of course this girl had dreams of becoming the next joffrey of course she was gonna take over like what exactly. did you expect exactly he was like unreachable at this point so i feel like this relates to taylor because in a lot of public feuds taylor's been in obviously because of misogyny everyone blames taylor immediately without really even considering the hand that the other side had in it um for sure not that rebecca was a great person obviously we've made that clear but it's just interesting that automatically it's like rebecca's the villain yeah 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 um and also relates to Taylor because this was giant and publicized, this Ugh. feud. Like, this was published in newspapers, in the press, all the time. And Joffrey would tell the press about the situation and would talk shit about Rebecca, but would never directly talk to Rebecca. Literally, the the Kim and Chris Kardashian talking to each other, where Chris is like, why don't you just call Taylor? And Kim's like, no, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's like, I'll talk to TMZ. Exactly. This is literally like, the exact same thing, yeah. Um, and Rebecca's response to the entire feud and everyone kind of hating her during this time was, there seems to be a fallacy that if you have money, you can't possibly have artistic ability, taste, or judgment. Which oh, is basically no, what I just shat on her for, so that's funny. 
Exactly. It's it's true though. It's like no, sweetie. No one thinks that. Like it's because of you. It's because of it's you. you. <laughs> it's you not having that talent. Actually, sweetie. Exactly. <laughs> like you're not being oppressed because you're rich, hun. I love exactly. You. That's the thing. It's not. It's not it. Yeah. Ugh. Um, getting into chapter eight now, which is titled "Strange Bedfellows." This thing. This chapter is pretty queer it's very interesting there's a lot of mm-hmm. subtle subtle things that are muddy yes. that are, i think are muddy on purpose because craig unger the author seems a little homophobic as well um, okay i actually read craig unger as a gay man oh interesting yeah i guess if he's writing a rebecca harkness documentary or biography yeah i wonder if he is i'm gonna look him up right now it's actually bananas that we haven't looked him up yet Yeah, because he's been kind of this anonymous character fueling all of this this whole time. I only say, I guess he's probably not homophobic, but the, like, at the time, the society was so homophobic. But the way that he speaks of things is very hush-hush. So, yeah, I wouldn't say that Craig Unger is homophobic, but that the context of this book being written was, homophobia was rampant. So, you can tell he's trying to be, like, kind of subtle about certain things. He just kind of mentions that the people were gay, and that's about it. Um, yes, definitely. So, in the late fifties, did you find out about him being queer? I haven't found out about him being queer, um, but the majority of what he writes about now—he's seventy-three years old now—and he um, oh. is like very, very um, anti, like very anti-conservative. Um, and the majority of okay. what he writes about now is um george w bush colluding with um like uh, countries in the middle east and like orchestrating 9-11 um and also his most recent book in 2018 was called house of trump house of putin the untold story of donald trump and the russian mafia telling about links between the Russian mafia of Vladimir Putin and the Trump organization. And he is responsible for naming 59 Russians as long-term business associates of Donald Trump. Not Craig Unger killing the game. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, so he that does is... seem to know a lot about politics. Yeah. And it's just fascinating that like he was kind of like this, like, that's why I think he's gay, because, like, why the fuck would he go from writing about the Harknesses to, like, being intensely in politics now? And the fact that he, like, right. just the way that he writes is so um, Brett Easton Ellis. Like, it's so, like, bitchy, mm. bisexual. Yeah. It's so true. That's so true. I love yeah, that, I'm- honestly. I really, that makes me like him and this book even more. The fact that he went on to do anti-conservative shit and like whistleblower shit essentially (laughs) like yes exactly um yeah i can't find anything Um, about his relationships or if he's married to anyone so there you have it okay so he's probably queer yeah (sighs) (laughs) and if he's Uh, not lord knows our listeners will tell us when this comes out exactly y'all let us know um, Someone's gonna be like, he's my grandpa, and he's happily married to my grandma. Can we get him on the podcast, Craig? Yes. Unger? 
Craig Unger's granddaughter, can you get your grandfather to come on our podcast? <laughs> oh my god, I literally, oh, I think that if I get high enough, I can email him and ask if he'll come on the podcast to talk about Rebecca Harkness and Taylor Swift's connections. And like his, like his interviews with all of these people and yes. like why the book was so like yes. many different stories patched together. Yeah. Okay, great. I'm going to try to reach out to him. We'll see. Yeah. We'll make that a goal for, for this year reaching out to Craig. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> um, so Rebecca buys in the late fifties, a extra apartment, you know, just an extra New York apartment. Uh, a few blocks away from the previous penthouse with 15 rooms, and she buys this apartment under a pseudonym, which is intriguing, mm-hmm. because at this point, she hasn't used pseudonyms, so it's like, why else would she buy a secret apartment with pseudonyms if there was not secret activity happening there, right? The name that she bought it under is Mrs. Foster, and no one knows why she did it, but some of her close friends say that it was, quote, a meeting place for various and numerous romantic relationships. Sounds gay. That sounds gay. It's giving sneaking in through the garden gate. It really is. Yeah, I can't wait to find out that Cruel Summer is actually a fan fiction song about Rebecca as Mrs. Foster. Definitely. Yeah. Um, Okay, we have to go on to your next note because I'm obsessed with this quote. No, yeah. So this is really interesting because directly after talking about this, yeah. where they said it was a numerous meeting, meeting place, whatever, her close friend goes, she had never been allowed to express herself. And now that she could for the first time, she became a nympho. There was no way that we could hold her back. Basically implying that before having this apartment, she couldn't express her sexuality and I believe implying that she was having like secret queer affairs in this apartment. Yes. yes. Literally. Why else if... would she have not been allowed to express herself? This is the thing. This is the thing that like is so wild is that she had no trouble whatsoever having wild, raucous relationships with younger men, with the men around her. Like she was not hiding these relationships with men. So why would she need a penthouse under a separate name to continue having relationships with men? Yeah, no. So I'm guessing that her friend referring to her as a nympho means that the sexual liaison she was having are like, okay, because a nympho typically means like someone that's having sex a lot but yes. having it be paired with this, the need for expression, and then given the having time sex a lot in was, a different way, exactly than she was in a before. different way. Why so else like, would she have just randomly become a nympho if these exactly. affairs weren't a separate expression of sexuality? Exactly. So, like, it, and don't you think that the that was it like more of a bdsm type expression of sexuality i feel like they would have included that because it's so um salacious like yeah supposedly there were whips and chains like things like that no yeah i don't even like that was the case like 
she like you said she had all of these other like random romances and affairs with like all these younger men or like all of her other husbands even so it's just like why why would she need a separate apartment with the pseudonym just to partake in like her kinks or her exactly or anything that's not queer because if it was just a kink thing i do think they would include that specifically for the like juicy gossipness of it and kinks are inherently queer kinks are like a queer also exactly (laughs) which is why they're so hidden and shamed like (laughs) exactly so like doing that with men i think would be openly talked about in the 80s Mm -hmm. like exactly and i think that like it's so it's thought of in such a different way than queerness it's like truly something that like is exciting for normal people to talk about because it's like you know it's forbidden it's like like eighth house stuff like scorpio like occult like which everyone loves to talk about forbidden right Mm -hmm. the fucking occult stuff and the like pervert stuff like that is clearly not something that she was like hiding hiding and also just that craig is hiding that craig Mm -hmm. is hiding and the nature i think of like sex clubs at the time would be that like Mm -hmm. If she was interested in that stuff, she would just have, like, a connection who would, like, bring her to where all the rich men are doing these things with. Like, no, she's creating her own apartment. What? Mm -hmm. Rich people were doing all of that. Exactly. Why why would she need to do her own? Her own. No, exactly. Because she needed it to be something actually secret actually that no one would find out about that like the women she wanted to sleep with would feel secure in knowing that they won't be found out like not a public thing Mm -hmm. so that literally narrows it down to her sleeping with women in a secret place yeah literally because she was okay with everything else exactly it's like and can i just say yes if i wasn't reading this book through a Gaylor lens, if I was just reading this to learn about Rebecca Harkness and not even mm-hmm. going into it thinking that she was queer in any way, if I yes. read this chapter, I would have been like, oh, okay, she was queer. That's what exactly. they were implying. Exactly. This book being written so long ago, that's what they were trying to say. Exactly. No, you're exactly right. Yeah. The title of the chapter is Strange Bedfellows. I like, know. that sounds so queer. That sounds like a way that Taylor would refer to, like, I don't know. That sounds so tailored to me. Strange bedfellows. Like, like it yeah. sounds like it comes from one of the rep poems. Like, you'd never mm. want to keep your diary drawer locked. And the strange bedfellows that follow you home. And, like, it just sounds like that. something she would. <laughs> I love that. I think that's true. Another interesting thing that they talk about in this that also kind of implies queer is that she was strongly dependent on her attorney, Aaron Frosch, who was an entertainment lawyer that represented Judy Garland, Marilyn Monroe, Elizabeth Taylor, and Richard Burton. Oh, God. That's so All, wild. like, gay like, people. Yeah, that are, like, oh, yes, exactly, gay and heavily watched and heavily speculated upon. Yes, like monitored. Like these were like yeah. the biggest publicity. Like Rebecca was a celebrity at this point. Yes. 
that is what I think what was most wild about this chapter to me is finding out that she was actually a celebrity. Like, I don't think that it really occurred to me that she was as famous as she was like in the tabloids because I just am having like I had a hard time remembering or not remembering because I wasn't there, but a hard time coming to terms with the fact that ballet would have been a top art form that the public cares about back in the day. There wasn't because a lot now, of like media. Exactly. So ballet was in, like a, it was just in the art world and the art yes. world is what was thriving. Not even like anything else, not like radio, TV, movies, like it very much was the ballet and like traditional forms of media. Another funny thing is that she let her lawyer, that lawyer that represented all of those other people, she let her lawyer um, pick her outfits for her. And her daughter said that he was always there for dinner and said, mother could always let someone rule her emotional life like that. So she kind of just let her lawyer, like, do whatever he needed to do. Ugh. Which is so interesting because he had to have known about these affairs then if he was that close at dinner every night, picking her outfits, exactly. this and that. He obviously was protecting her from something. Um, Choosing All the of the dancers too. from Joffrey. Yeah. Like, why? Why does your lawyer yeah. have to pick your dresses? Because, like, she can't look too gay. <laughs> right. No, literally. Like, she yeah. has to look like a prim proper lady. And that was the least of her worries. She didn't want yeah. to. So he was like, I'll just pick them for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All the dancers from the Joffrey hated her husband, Kian. So one of the young dancers named Bobby, who was hired to instruct her, and he, like, came from a very, very poor background. So being hired to instruct her was a huge deal for him, and he became highly dependent on her for income, oh. obviously. Um, he decided to try his shot at her as an attempt to just get her to leave Kian. Like, he was like, I don't want to be with her. I don't want to be with her after this. I'm not trying to start a relationship. I just want her to break up with him and get a divorce from him. Um... So one night he like brought her out onto the beach and like tried to like swoon her and they like kissed on the beach and then Rebecca brought him back to her bedroom and then he said that he was shocked when she didn't want to have sex with him and she said we'd better stop here. And so he went to bed and thought the next day that he was going to get fired and that she must have not been attracted to him and that she saw right through him and like all this shit. And she ended up buying him a stereo the next day, a very nice stereo as like a gift. So she's gifting one of her dancers for like flirting with her and then not taking it any further. Exactly. Exactly. That's a very Which is like hilarious. That's a very like consolation prize. Like, very sweet of you to try to seduce me. I'm sorry, I'm just not interested. And, like, obviously it reads, like, she's the pathetic one. Like, she's the one that wants attention. So, like, why wouldn't she throw herself at this younger man trying to seduce her? In her head, she's like, this poor thing. Like, I am not interested in him. I should get him a little yes. something as a consolation yeah. prize. Like, yeah. oh, he, I feel bad. <laughs> Hilarious. This friendship ends up going on for a while. 
And I haven't even gotten to the end of the book, but I assume that Bobby sticks around. So put a pin uh-huh. in Bobby, listeners. Um, yeah. Is Bobby the self-identified homosexual? Um, yes, he's one of them. <laughs> one of them, yeah. Exactly, yeah. One of them. One of the many, yes. Chapter 9, titled Sexual Politics. Which is what we've been waiting Cardigan. for. Literally. Yeah. I just had a little fun fact, like, from the first couple sentences of this chapter. It stated that Rebecca had a six-acre beachfront estate in Nassau in New York. And the estate was named Capricorn. When What is her star sign? If I remember correctly, Aries, but I could be wrong. I will find out now. Yes, she was an Aries. Aries. I, what a fascinating to, to name it Capricorn. Right. I haven't looked into her entire birth chart, but I, f- or maybe I did one time. I don't know. I had a feeling she was a Capricorn moon right. because of the way that she didn't want to be a mother and just the way that she is. Um, yeah. She gives very much Capricorn moon vibes, but mm. if anyone wants to look into Rebecca Harkness's birth chart, let us know. I do think that we've even asked people <clears throat> to do that. So, uh... yeah. So I just thought that that was funny because Queen of course she like not only did she want to be the king of ballet she also wanted to be the king mystic of the world <laughs> it's true it's true and where is nasa um that is in upstate i think it's around like the hamptons like it's like oh okay where all of those giant yes. estates okay. are um, so this was her I might be New wrong. York. This was closer to New York City than Watch Hill. Yes, yes. And from here on out, she spends a lot of time here, actually. Yeah. Um, with her dancers. Because it was such a giant estate, there were separate houses for everyone. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. Can you imagine? Like, I... I would be just as crazy, too, if this was my life. I would be fucking insane off the rails. Cuckoo bananas. I know. I know. Um, Bobby said that he continued to try to swoon Rebecca around this time so that she'd leave Kian and he implied that they still haven't had any sexual relations up to this point other than like their kiss on the beach so she's he's still just trying to like flirt with her and whatever and then around this time too Rebecca starts taking amphetamines for energy uh, to continue training in dance and swimming and I remember reading somewhere that she partook in hormones too that she injected testosterone i don't know if it was around this time or if they'll get into it later but i know that the amphetamines and testosterone mixture was a big reason for her health decline because she was not using it in like a proper way um so yeah and also, while staying on her beachfront estate, she hired a sculptor to make a bronze sculpture of her and Bobby dancing. So at this point, I think she's just like, this is my best friend. Yes. Um, and Bobby's friend named Raymond Wilson, who is a piano player, was also featured in the sculpture playing piano for them while they dance. Oh and Raymond is the piano player is described as the most flamboyant member of the group who did mud face masks with Rebecca. Is this Bobby's partner? (laughs) Exactly. 
Another uh, guest of this beachfront estate said she loved having this big blonde giant, Bobby, throwing her around in dance class each day. But I wouldn't have guessed that they were having an affair. Uh, Probably because they weren't. And (laughs) probably because they weren't. Exactly. And Craig Unger probably asked this person, what did you think about Bobby and Rebecca's affair? And they were like, "Uh, I don't know. I know she liked getting thrown around by him. I didn't know they were doing all that, but sure. Like. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, this part's kind of hilarious. Uh, Bobby reminds me of Joe. Rebecca buys Bobby an apartment on 74th Street in New York City in the same building as her psychic, who was named Eva Brock, um, who was her excuse for her visits to this building. So I'm like, was she fucking her psychic or was she just really into the going to the psychic that she was like, right. Oh, I'm just going to see my psychic hangs out with Bobby. Like, no, I yeah. think you were really going to see the psychic. And yeah, I think yes. you were having sexual affairs in that building, but not with Bobby. Exactly. I truly think that her and Eva, the psych- there's nothing about it, but I don't know why else she would need an excuse to go visit her psychic or Bobby. Yeah. You're so right. Yeah. Kind of sickening if she was banging her psychic. I love that. I love it, too. Um, <laughs> It's just like completely arbitrary. Like... It doesn't make sense. Um, So she finally, after putting Bobby up in an apartment, she divorces Kian and he receives a million dollars of the Harkness wealth as the settlement for the divorce. Congrats to Kian. Um, Bobby eventually moves in with Rebecca at Watch Hill. And another quote from a friend, few believed that the two were actually lovers. If only because Bobby was so open about his homosexuality. Oh, my God. So this is the thing. The bronze statue truly seems like a gift to the happy couple from Rebecca. Like, look at this statue of you dancing and your boyfriend playing piano. Yeah. And I just happened to be in it because I paid for it. Like, exactly. Yeah, my name's on everything, by the way, bitch. So, like, remember. No, that literally, I'm, part I'm funding of this. both of your lives. Love you guys, Me. though. Like, exactly. Like, that's truly, truly. I can see so many celebrities doing something like that now to their gay best friends. Um, no, yeah, yeah. They never said that Bobby was with the piano player, but I really, truly felt that in my soul. I, tr- I truly feel that because of that statue. Yeah, like I'm glad that you agree. Yes. Um, and I feel like the reason she was so happy to divorce Kian is because she had another man that could be her beard that, like, really, you know, was also flamboyantly gay like her. Yeah. And yeah. at this point, she's not really surrounding herself as much with all the rich people and the socialites as much because she's so busy training in ballet and swim and funding the Joffrey Ballet Company and flying them around the world that mm-hmm. at this point, she doesn't really need to impress anyone but the people around her, which would just be the ballet people. So, of course, she could just be like, yeah, I'm with Bobby. Ha We live together. Duh. Of course, we're together. Yeah. But she also lives with 40 other dancers. So. Yeah. 
I agree. He was like kind of a stand-in beard and bestie in one, and that's why he reminds yes. me of Joe. I hope that Joe and Taylor are besties if they're beards. You know, that's you know? our that's our best. That's all we can hope for. Whether yeah. that's the case, if they're gonna have to kiss each other on the cheek and call it making out, then I would hope that they're friends. You know. Me too. Me as well. Um, another choreographer says, that woman has a lot of money, but she will never have what she wants. All she wants is to be a swan. And that's apparent. And it's apparent. She's not a swan. She is like a, like, loud, fumbling, clumsy, like, rooster. Right. A peacock. And when I say rooster, I mean it. Well, yeah. that's the thing. So I love that you're thinking rooster because I'm thinking peacock because think of this. Peacocks are so beautiful, such a spectacle, like really quite something to behold, but so fucking annoying, like truly smell and sound disgusting. They yeah. like terrorize neighborhoods in they're areas. Scary. They're scary. Yeah. <laughs> they're so scary. They're so like, and then when you, the more you look at them closely, the more you're not distracted by like their feathers and like how beautiful their feathers are. The more you look at them, you're like, this is an ugly bird. Like peacocks are weird looking. That's really Rebecca. Like you have the distraction of like the extravagance and everything, but then you look closer and you're like, oh, uh, yeah, for sure. The destruction you've caused like in your path, like the chaos. Exactly. Exactly. And just constantly trying to impress other people with their pl- her plumage, you know? Yeah. Right. Ugh. And aren't all peacocks, like, with, like, very extravagant... This might be wrong. I don't know a thing. Like, aren't they men? Or, not men. <laughs> like, a male? They're like- human men in costumes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but, like, aren't they male because they're trying to, like, impress... The, right. the females or whatever oh, the pretty ones um, are men yeah exactly the pretty ones with that's all the why and yeah what i think that's we'll later find out is that rebecca uh, yeah yeah that rebecca is a man in the masculine yes, yes yeah. is very mask is very comfortable being masculine and and man manly man-ish in her manhood yeah like she very yeah. much that is like a quality that she cultivates in herself to what degree yeah. we'll never know but yeah like that's why i think that an extremely like flamboyant peacock is much more rebecca harkness than a beautiful elegant mm-hmm. swan no i totally agree um let's and see. on her worst days just a rooster Yes, yes. I think I just thought rooster because of how loud they are. Yeah. And just and like that's the thing. And they do the same thing that peacocks do where they're like try to buff themselves up, you know? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I love that we were on the same page with that. Totally. Like she's definitely not a swan, she's that type of bird. <laughs> yeah. She's a male bird. <laughs> that really yes. likes to be loud. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, the author, not e- this isn't a quote even from someone. This is what Craig Unger himself said. He ends the chapter by saying, there was more to it than sex. 
Bobby also listened to her ideas in a way that no other man had. Right. Because he wasn't attracted to her. So, of yes. course, he wasn't looking at her as an object. And he <laughs> was listening to her. Of course, it was more than sex. They weren't having sex. And isn't that the way that, it, like, why so many of us, like, queer girls fucking love having gay male best friends? Because finally, and yeah. not even queer girls, straight girls, too. It's so nice to have a yeah. gay man best friend. Because it's like, finally, there's mm-hmm. one fucking man that is not just thinking about, yeah. like, whether I'm fuckable or not. And if I want to fuck him. And when he can it, fuck me. Like, exactly. Yeah. He's just listening to me as a person. And yes. like even if you hate men, you want to have a man around that will not be yes. awful and disgusting yes. to you. Like at least all the time for all the all the all the reasons you're tired of, you know? Yeah, exactly. Men still being people, people being complicated. But like at right. least that whole aspect that like is following us around constantly as like women in this world. And people perceived as women in this world mm-hmm. is like, don't fucking mm-hmm. think about me, you know? Yeah. Just listen and to my And that's what ideas. Craig Unger perfectly sums up. Like, yes. he he specifically has to mention, Bobby listened to her. That's the point that I want you to get across from all of this, is that there, it wasn't about sex, but Bobby listened to her. And Rebecca never had that. Exactly. Um... Getting into chapter 10, which is beefy, but yes. I'll try to get through it quickly. Perfectly. I'm going to zip my lips so we can get through this because I'm just talking, talking too much. This is a lot of just long quotes anyways, too, of kind of what we were talking about at the beginning about people's perceptions of her being so different mm-hmm. and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first thing in chapter 10 titled The Go-Go Years. So funny. Um <laughs> the author mentions that President Johnson tried to have sex with Rebecca because the har- uh, the Joffrey Ballet Company performed at the White House and that President Johnson tried to have sex with Rebecca and she never had sex with him, but she loved telling people the story and she would tell it to anyone of who listened she did. that President Johnson wanted to bang her. Yeah. Who wouldn't tell that story? <laughs> no, yeah. Hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um... So then this man named Bertrand Castelli. I'm just going to call him Castelli. He enters the picture. He seems like an important character in this point in time in the book. Um, He was called by someone on Rebecca's team to be the new creative director for the Joffrey Ballet Company. Because, of course, Rebecca was like basically in charge of it at this point. And Castelli said that when he met with Rebecca, they had a very long meeting in her office. And he describes it in great detail, more detail than anyone describes any interaction with Rebecca in this book. And he says, I broke the image, the mirror of Rebecca Harkness by telling her what no one else would tell her, what she was thinking inside. It was a very important moment. Then she cried for a long time. She was a shy woman, but she was not shy with me. She began this long monologue for two or three hours talking about all of the people who were taking advantage of her, and she was totally paranoid about these people surrounding her. Her frustrations were enormous, but she had never spoken to anyone honestly. 
And then they had sex in her office and he became the new creative director and continued to be friends. This is the part that I think is hilarious. He says all of these like crazy things about her and then he just goes, yeah, and then we banged in her office on her desk and like da 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 And it's just like, I don't even think that actually happened. I don't no. even think that she actually had sex with this man. I think he just said that to like boost his own ego in this interview Ugh. with Craig Unger. I truly in my soul don't feel like Rebecca wow. had sex with him. Wow. I okay, so that's very interesting because I could really I really saw this as like of course like there's just so few things that like women have in like our like um what's it called like arsenal as to like how mm. to show gratitude and right, giving someone a job is one of them but like having sex with them is another one it's like truly the amount of lesbians i know that have had sex with men just because the men yeah. were nice to them and they knew yeah. that they wanted they they knew that the man wanted to have yeah. sex with them is like the list goes on and on and on it's always being added yeah. to like so to yeah. me it was a very believable that she would have sex with him as part of like i can't believe i finally got to vent to someone here's your reward no yeah i totally i totally thought that too and at the yeah. like it was more of an afterthought that I was like, did she even actually fuck him? Just because I thought about all the ways that people talked about Rebecca. And I was just like, a lot of totally. people made shit up. And like, he could have very well made that up. But I also think that if they did have sex, it was from that like place uh -huh. of like a reward. Yeah. Like, thank you for listening to me. And since you're a man and this is the only reward I can give you. Yes. We'll have sex. Exactly. And she could have been like also into it in a weird way because he let her vent. So I, I mean, truly, that possibilities are endless. Whether they did or did not have sex, like, yeah, yeah. Truly, we have no. Yeah, there's so many different. But that's the point. Like, we don't even them. know exactly. Yeah, yeah. And the moment we start um, taking people by their word in this book is the moment we lose for sure. Yes, exactly. Um. So uh, another quote from him describing her again. And this is why I feel like he's one of the only people that like really saw her. I mean, he we just glazed past the fact that he called her a mirror and said that he broke the mirror of yes. Rebecca Harkness. Yes. Yes. Yeah. A mirror ball. Thank you. I am so glad you even brought that up. It did not like I still don't even associate mirror imagery with Taylor to that degree because like I feel like it's so much like so many of us are like mirrors that like and like yeah. I feel so much like a mirror a lot of the time everyone's kind of a mirror yeah exactly but like that is so true shattering the mirror yeah oh mm -hmm. I love that and the way he references mirror to be like attributing it to Rebecca is the way that Taylor references yes. herself as a mirror, not the exactly. way that you and I see ourselves as mirrors in a way of like exactly. fame and like public image. You're right. um, yeah, we're not quite there with the viewing our fame yeah. and public image like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're not mirrors because of our public image. We're mirrors because we're mentally yeah. ill. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, you're right, though. Um, he says... At parties, she dressed up as a maid, passing out drinks, eavesdropping on conversations, and winking at those in the know. She didn't like the color of chocolate mousse, so she had it dyed blue when they served it for dinner. 
She left a restaurant by walking through its fountain and emerged soaking wet. She thought her goldfish was not perky enough, so she tried to pep them up by filling the fish tank with scotch and killed the goldfish. She flaunted her belief in reincarnation, insisting that in her previous life she had been Egyptian queen Neferidi. And she would say, all the time, We've been here before, honey, and you know what? We'll be back again. That was her take on reincarnation. That is a sleigh. That is a sleigh. That final that line. That is a sleigh. That single quote. Yeah. You know what, honey? We've been here before. We've been here before. We'll be here again. Be here again. Exactly. No, that is a sleigh. Thinking that she's Egyptian Queen Nefertiti, not a sleigh. Hilarious for so many Hilarious. reasons. Hilarious. That's what people always say. People. That's the thing why I can never, ever actually get on board with these like white public perceptions of yeah. reincarnation. Like, reincarnation, like truly, that's something yeah. I'm keeping to myself in the most intimate conversations. The moment I start being like, I'm a reincarnated Egyptian queen. No. Yeah. No. no you're not. Yeah. <laughs> It very, very quickly, reincarnation and the white Western idea of reincarnation very yes. quickly turns into A, psychosis, and simultaneously B, like, mm. ego, god complex, racist. Exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. Exactly. Um, huh. But hilarious that she believed in it so much that she genuinely would tell people, like, here's an explanation. We've been here before, and we'll be here again. We've been here before, honey. And you know what? We'll be back again. I love that quote. I want that as like a bumper sticker. Cause Same. That is, I was about to say, can we make merch with that? <laughs> we absolutely yeah. can. We absolutely can. Oh, That's my where my this. reincarnation belief begins and ends. I feel like that. we need to have it be Emily Dickinson, Rebecca Harkness, Taylor Swift. Yes, the cycle. The cycle. Yeah. Uh-huh. So true. Um, another really fucking funny quote which is her referring to her spectacular weekend retreats like the one at like her New York estate mm-hmm. is well it's not home but it is much <sighs> instead of it's not much but it is home exactly. she's like no it is much and it's not home it's not warm or inviting <laughs> oh my lord I just that's the thing she does keep her sense of humor and she's been funny yes. for a long time yeah she's like oh. a little clown <laughs> yeah she should have become a comedian not a little not a ballet philanthropist there is an entire twitter page of like memes about jesters and jokers and it's like specifically curated for non-binary people that feel like like jesters like that is like a archetype in and of itself of gender and i feel like rebecca harkness is like a jester oh my god we i love this do you know about this page because you identify as a little non-binary jester i do because it's funny but i don't actually like i don't think anyone actually does but it's like really funny because okay the like photos of jesters and stuff are just like this is my gender like this is what i mean when i say i'm non-binary Okay, Madison, I love that you think that everyone else has the same relationship to that as you do, but there are absolutely people that are, like, I'm looking in a fucking mirror right now. (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm sure there are people that that fully are jesters and they know that they are and they believe that they are. And that's totally fine. That's not my everything I do is camp though. Not I'm not serious about anything. I know. And I think that's honestly closer to what Rebecca Harkness would have thought about that little page because I do think that she sees herself as a jester. Yes, like just a little like like a little entertainer, a little performer that just kind of like rides on a, like a unicycle around she's town devote- and like exactly. yells. She's devoted her life to pranking. Yeah, like a um like a trickster. There's um yeah. a book that my partner is reading right now that's about the archetype of the trickster and it's like mm. an anthropological look at like mythology oh, and the trickster archetype which is oh, similar wow. to like jesters and yeah. Rebecca Harkness is very very much a trickster archetype that is like right. not good or bad but chaotic totally. for sure. Chaotic exactly. The chaotic neutral. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing that's painful about Rebecca Harkness is that mm-hmm. she is so chaotic neutral and like she just makes evil decisions when she could very yes. well be making neutral or positive decisions. Yeah, and it's almost yeah. like she knows that they're destructive decisions and doesn't care. Exactly. Um, I, I these quotes are just so good. We've been here before, honey, and you know what? We'll be back again. Well, it's not home, but it is much. I know. And then so this clever. one is whenever, <laughs> whenever she would have problems with people, <laughs> she would say, "If it's perfection you're looking for, dear, you're on the wrong planet." Stretching out the word "wrong." Oh my god, I would do anything to be able to hear. Literally, it is stretched out. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if it's wrong or, like, wrong planet. Exactly. I need to hear the audio. Ugh. Yeah. Maybe when Craig's Where on the are the show, tapes, he Craig? can bring his tapes, yeah. Yeah. We'll look forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then her psychic... This, I just thought, was so interesting. Um, her psychic specialized in automatic writing... And which, you know, Katie, I've dabbled in. So I found this intriguing. Um, yes. And yes. it turns oh out that God. that. Right. Yes. It turns out that the psychic was only semi permanent in her entourage, too, which I can't really think of a reason for that. If not them having like a whirlwind romance, probably similar to the one that she had with the first psychic. I was going to say, she just kind that's of disappeared the thing. Too. They have to disappear like silently and behind the scenes um, because mm-hmm. like. Yeah, but again, very similar to our little friend, Miss Swift, who have these very high-profile yes. best friends, and then they just fade away into the background, unlike Stop talking. other friends like Selena Gomez or Kara. And yeah. just like every other queer girl who has ever lived who had a best no, exactly. friend and, like, fell out, and everyone was yes. like, hey, whatever happened to da-da-da? I just watched the movie Shiva Baby the other day for the first time. Yes. It's giving. It's giving that. Yeah. Which I could only watch it because it was only like an hour and 10 minutes long. And I was like, okay, I could do this. I could do this. Um, And did you end up liking it? I really did like it, actually. It was a little bit anxiety inducing because of how accurate the portrayal of like being overstimulated and being at like a family gathering and like that sort of, I don't know. That was 
very anxiety inducing but because it was well done so yeah yeah i'm so um, glad and do you think diana did a good job i do i do think she did a good job she was a very interesting character in it too like she was like so neutral but also like very much the center of like the problems that were happening like it was so interesting i would love to talk to you about this like she wasn't necessarily homophobic yes yeah um so then she also it it reveals at this part that she was also paying for the psychic's apartment at the same time that she was paying for bobby's apartment in that building what so she had put both of those bitches up in a building Oh my god and i'm like come on like of course they were together and then it says that she would fly her to all of her retreats and invited her to stay at holiday house for the summer because she was writing a book and she was like you can write your book at holiday house um but rebecca decided that she didn't like seeing eva out by the pool with her white cat um, or the fact that she was ordering her kitchen staff to make filet mignon for the cat. So um, instead of just, you know, being a normal person and communicating, hey, um, which I don't know why she couldn't just feed the cat filet mignon, but like, hey, we're not going to do that anymore. Um, like, I'll buy it, like, cat food. Instead of, like, doing that, Rebecca secretly, Eva never knew that it was Rebecca who did this, bathed the cat in food coloring until it was a horrid green. Eva said, (laughs) which, yeah, go ahead. (laughs) Well, okay. The thing is, is that Taylor really took some liberties retelling this. Right. It wasn't her neighbor. It wasn't wasn't a dog. So what, so is she pointing us to this relationship? Because I have to tell you something. I'm and I'm being dead fucking serious when I say this right now. Mm-hmm. I have only ever felt jealousy about like within me and Lizzie's relationship in regards to how much she loves our cat. <gasps> oh, and I that's so remember, true. Yes. And this is a fucking lesbian thing. Like that's I, real. Yeah, that's that real. is real. <laughs> Like, I at no point ever think that she loves another human being more or better or in a different way. Like, I'm not jealous about any interaction she has with humans. But sometimes Gracie will be annoying me and, like, be standing on me. And Lizzie will, like, take her side. I feel insane saying this right (laughs) now. Like, I this is my worst version of myself. And I will be like, wow. Like... She's okay ordering filet mini, and it happens fucking all the time with exactly. Gracie food. Dude, I, as someone who is non-monogamous and doesn't feel jealousy <laughs> towards humans, and has felt jealousy toward my partners and my cat. Yes. Uh, okay. Thank you. Why thank do you, you. Why do you love my cat more than you love me? Yes. I don't understand. And then I check myself and I'm like, it's a fucking cat. cat. Like, you don't care when your partners fuck other people, but you care when they tell (laughs) your cat that it's cute. Like, what's the logic? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) If if you think you're being illogical, look at me. Thank you. That helps a lot. Thank you. (laughs) 
no like exactly like you are valid that's real and i never even considered that connection for this but you're right she didn't like seeing them laying out by the pool that's what it said she didn't like seeing eva laying out by the pool with her cat yes and then found out that she was feeding her good and was like oh hell no this cat has got to go i'm gonna die green and she won't want anything to do with it so reading that, I was like, okay, so actually Taylor's specifically referencing a lover's spat between Rebecca and her psychic girlfriend. Yes, and changed this part it enough. was made up. Yes, exactly. She Ugh. was like, oh, this is made up. And it was the first thing everyone noticed when everyone started looking into the real Rebecca Harkness story it was like oh it was actually it was actually a cat it wasn't a dog and everyone was like haha that's so funny that she changed it because she loves cats and it's like no. um or she's pointing to the fact that this part was really interesting and made up just like the song that part is made up and um and also the fact you know that like I've been fascinated with the fact of like bearded pronouns and like cats yes traditionally are seen as feminine and dogs as masculine so she is bearding a relationship in more than one way by changing cat to dog and then lover bff to neighbor um eventually she was replaced with a japanese american physical therapist that specialized in acupuncture massages it makes you wonder who or why really soured her on the kind of like more mystical elements of it like the more occult elements that she was leaning more towards right. like east asian like um like no longer mysticism like physical but just being like wisdom and and like uh, like health physical health, health eastern exactly. medicine like yeah yeah um, probably after two breakups with her psychics, it was probably like she had enough, you know? Well, yeah. And she's gotten more into Buddhism as well. Right. And, um, my bad. Earlier I did say that it was Kian that was, um, that introduced her, or no, he did introduce her more to Buddhism, but the yeah. physical therapist is actually the one that was making the dance company use right. like Buddhist mantras and, right. um, everything but but still like she has regardless she was really into into buddhism and i just think that's so funny because when it started off in the timeline we were kind of in like post harry houdini spiritualism like you know kind of like like occultists preying on rich people and then we're moving Mm -hmm. into like 60s and 70s where the kind of like spiritual con is like doing a mm-hmm. kind of bastardized version of like Buddhism and like Hinduism and like the birth of yeah. Hare Krishna like that's kind of becoming popular mm. so like that is just where she's transitioning out of the 20s and 30s into this oh thank you for that context that makes so much that makes so much sense too because it wasn't yeah. just Rebecca this was also the culture exactly. and she was shifting exactly. with it yeah, yeah. Um, this next quote is the, my favorite quote from the book. Yes, exactly. My favorite. So far. Rebecca was a man. No, yeah. So far. Rebecca was a man. A buddy-buddy of anyone. The maid, doctor, bullshit artist. 
Rebecca had a lot of man in her. Even her attitude to her own children. She was more of a father than a mother. She was like a man, like a truck driver. Even physically, she was tall, a man in drag. When she wanted to be coquettish. Is that how you pronounce that? Coquettish? Yep, coquettish, yeah. She was like a man in drag. (sighs) Exactly. And that, reading that, I think has just changed the way that I'm looking at this going forward. Because on one level, Mm -hmm. because that is literally just Craig Unger's like description of her, right? Like that's not a friend. That's straight from the text. No, I believe that. I do believe that this was a quote from someone. Yeah. Oh, really? Because Craig Unger doesn't really say a lot of his own statements. Okay. Um, this was this was a quote from someone else. But he never says who either. He's always just like a friend. And when it's juicy shit I'm like saying. this, he's just like a friend said. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, so it's that's why it's so hard to like determine whether it's his own thing or like someone wrote, someone said this. Um, but like I just yeah. feel like that is how she's starting to function in the world. Like she is really starting to see herself as a man who has like mm-hmm. is, is interested in femininity as a like performance aspect and like is mm-hmm. interested in kind of the aesthetic of femininity um, as a means to her art and a means of like expressing yeah. herself. But she does not feel connected to femininity the way that she feels connected yeah. to masculinity. Like masculinity feels like right. something she wants to consume and like live feed in and fuel and live in. And femininity is like performance. a, a form of a performance. Yeah. Drag. Literally drag. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I feel her. This quote, I feel it on a spiritual level, truly. Um, I love that. And then the next quote, which is from the same quote, I just put it separately because this seemed like a separate thought about her relationship to gender. Mm. It said, yet she was a mirror. I could see so many people in front of her playing the game of the moment, and she liked being in that position. She was very shy about it. She was embarrassed. Another Which makes me feel like they're commenting... Shy. Right. They're commenting on her gender performance and her being shy about the way she related to gender and the games that she would play with it. And she was embarrassed of having to use femininity in that way. And only that way, because she was like, this is not me. Yeah. Yeah. And another person saying she was a mirror. This is a separate person from Castelli. Um, They go on to say she was like the gardener in Kosinski's being there. The mirror into which we could look and see what we wanted. An idiot to an idiot who says profound things. So everyone would just look at her and be like, "Oh yeah, that's what I see. That's what I want to see is that she's just an idiot who says profound things." But what if it was all on purpose? And Castelli 
Also, do you know anything about Kosinski's um, being there? Because I don't. No. I um, I feel so silly that I don't because I usually know kind of like references. But I feel like this might be one of the ones that um, was maybe more like in the general zeitgeist in like the 80s when this was being written as opposed to now. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like... It, it feels like, I don't know, I'm just really struck by what you just said about, like, what if it was on purpose? Like, what if, like, she really was kind of cultivating this persona? And I just feel like it's so hard because, like, that is literally the nature of drag and doing drag. Is that, like, mm-hmm. being a bimbo is a form of drag. And being mm-hmm. a idiot who says profound things is a type of drag it's camp yes exactly yeah and that's really how i see her like truly i don't even think she was that stupid i think that she just hated herself hated the life that she positioned herself in hated the people around her and the only way she knew how to cope with that was to be self-destructive and be destructive of the people around her Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because there wasn't a way for her to get out of this now. <laughs> like, no. what? It's really the more we or talk Or get out of her... being a woman. Exactly. Like, uh, of being perceived as a woman and treated as a woman. Um, yeah. And I really wonder if that that is a huge part of Taylor's own gender identity. Is I that, like, deep, intense relationship with drag and the concept of drag Mm -hmm. and like I think that like almost all drag queens that I know Taylor truly 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 has such a like deep love and affection for femininity and like feminists and like Mm -hmm. really like values those things and sees those things as powerful and valuable in their own way but she does not she sees them as truly a persona that her real true core self is able to step in and step out of. And then who mm-hmm. we are seeing in the candidates in the videos um, is like the Valor version of, <laughs> of Taylor who like really exists when she's not on in a like much more like non woman state, you know? Yeah. I and agree. it's like I think she appreciates femininity, but in the way that she appreciates it is for performance and for yeah. making a statement and for yeah, performance for drag. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like truly owning, it's like truly, it's like not, I feel like there are so many people that are like forced to be in this world as women for like all of their lives, some of their lives, however much. And they like have a relationship with femininity where they like resent it and don't like it for obvious reasons and like they truly has have always felt yeah. like it was something they weren't comfortable in and Rebecca's yeah. relation to drag 
just makes such a more complicated picture that is so in line with like Taylor's prominent featuring of drag queens as like the primary representatives for women in Hollywood. Like, I just yeah. feel like she deeply relates to the idea of being a gay man, a, like, non, yeah. like, like not being a cis woman, and yet mm-hmm. performing this, like, intense version of femininity and, like, what her gender mm-hmm. means underneath that. And I feel like Rebecca Harkness, I just feel so bad for her that she didn't have the access to, like, language that we have now, you know? And I think that's why she wanted to be a dancer and a performer so badly, too, because she was like, I want to perform femininity, but on these high stake levels, on these like, I want to perform it. I want to perform it it. and not be forced going to a house party. Yes, exactly. That's not getting to perform it in the way I want to. And that's why she always performed her whole life as like the bitch pack and like yes. all this chaos. Like that was a show, honey. That was yeah, that her was mean her girl performing cosplay. in the way that she could. Yes, uh-huh. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I just deeply relate to to Rebecca's relationship to gender. Like genuinely, yeah. I do feel like a gay man, but I also look like a woman. And that's, like, fine with me because the woman part is a performance every day and gets me through my everyday life. <laughs> like, it's it's very much a bit, you know? Like, yeah. I get that so much. Yeah. Um, and if Taylor has that same relationship, which I do feel like the things that she said allude to her having a similar relationship, mm-hmm. then it really makes sense why she felt the need to write an entire song about Rebecca and keep that house and identify with her so much in that way. Something I've been thinking a lot about is the fact that one of the main, like, political stances she takes in Miss Americana is that someone should be able to be taken seriously, even if they, like, glitter in pink. Mm -hmm. Because that stance is like kind of my baby femme stance like back in high school like I the way that I transitioned into like having femme be like the core part of my identity was being like I literally care about so-called superficial things like glitter sparkles pink making things pretty having things be like pretty and emotional and like heartbreak and like all the stuff that Taylor really celebrates like are core to my identity and not taken seriously in the larger world. Mm-hmm. So Taylor saying, I want people to be taken seriously, even if they like pink and sparkles that read to me when I first listened to Miss Americana as being reflective of someone with my experience as a cis woman who's queer, like a queer lesbian cis woman yeah. who inherently feels wildly disconnected from femininity because I do not perform femininity for men the way that Mm -hmm. we've been taught femininity functions as. Right. Like, I think being a femme for femme is, like, where I get my power in this world is knowing that I am Mm -hmm. inhabiting femininity for myself and for Mm -hmm. the for the girls. Like, we are doing it for each other, and that is where my power comes from. Mm -hmm. And I really saw Taylor saying that as a reflection of that. But the more we talk about drag and what drag is, 
the more I realize that even though I personally like am really interested in becoming a drag queen because like I really need an outlet for like intense femininity as I live in like a rural yeah. area of Vermont like I need a, a way to express this like feminine yeah. in myself so like even though I love mm-hmm. and like kind of want to become a drag queen the the mere nature of my relationship to femininity is that I oh honey don't you are a drag queen thank you I like feel I like become one thank you like that's the thing it's like i'm just fucking living this every day like my house that's why i'm like you are a drag queen don't yeah exactly like trixie mattel is like living in her pink house like and sometimes she wants to be a boy like sometimes she wants to look like a boy i don't fucking ever 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 want to look like a boy ever the idea of me wearing my malibu feathers with my hair in in it my silk robe my hair up my share quotes my all pink lemonade blender i want that to be where no one can see me i'm the only person around in the world as long as i am seeing it and other girls Mm -hmm. can have access to this like pleasurable existence other girls and femmes like i'm very happy and at peace with that and i feel like rebecca and maybe taylor because it's the first time i'm really thinking about this other relationship to femininity i'm like does rebecca think of it the way that other drag queens think of it as a form of artistic expression that they do not want to live in all the time yes I fully think that that's how Rebecca is. Although yes. I totally get yours and I think I think that your expression is like radical in a way because it's femininity like you said was something to be absorbed and observed by men. And so you deciding to perform your drag queen persona, which is just you when you're alone with no audience, which is like the entire like downfall of like quote-unquote girlhood is like always having to perform for everyone and you performing to absolutely no one but yourself that's the most drag thing I've ever heard in my life like it certainly can but I do I do think that it is exactly (laughs) but I do think that for Rebecca and probably Taylor it's more of like I perform at the drag club and then I go home and I take it all off and I go to bed and that's kind of what it is for me too every day yeah (laughs) Um, and it doesn't mean you don't love that femininity of course not it's just i also love not doing it and uh, like performing a different (sighs) thing for myself like um yeah i i i hope that taylor has has explored gender just a little bit for her own sake because you can hear it in her music the thalers have points they make points that like there's so many bits of like dysphoria and euphoria at the same time in different different lines and different metaphors and the way that she speaks on girlhood and it's just mm. she has to have explored it even a little bit if she's been this interested in rebecca harkness you know yeah for sure. You know, the one thing that I wonder, too, about even Thaylers, it's like, I bet she would love they pronouns, mm-hmm. but I feel like she's also loving he pronouns. And I feel like Taylor's the type of person that would fucking <laughs> love a he pronoun when she's, like, in her absolute most yeah. dolled up femme look. Like, that's what yeah. she wants to be referred to as She loves being K. the man. 
the man exactly yeah while dressed in a sequin romper romper and saying i'm the man like so true queen king (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly uh, I did Google Kaczynski's being there really quick because I just wanted to kind of so see did like, I. a synopsis. Yes. Um, interesting that it's a satirical novel. That's all I really took from it. Um, but it also talks about like a Wall Street and like there's a character who was an investor on Wall Street, which is very Taylor's God's Lift. So I might look into this a little bit in case there's Taylor connections, but for now well i think that that's okay someone so the compared more... rebecca too is this character and okay the more rebecca too, the, the more I... the gardener in the book exactly the so-called idiot with profound thoughts um i believe yeah. that the reason i recognize this novel the one time i can remember it is because people say that forrest gump is an instance of this novel being in real life like of the this kind of prophetic novel that like we'll all look towards the wisdom of quote unquote simple folk um people's criticism of the movie Forrest Gump um include the fact that like oh we're all looking towards this like simpleton as like where wisdom should come from like that's kind of a like real life version of the world in this novel so the idea that rebecca's character would be a so-called like ditz or Mm -hmm. she didn't her like you know it like they didn't even call her ditz it was like an idiot like someone who did not think about other people um but would sometimes say profound things is like part of her shtick yeah yeah. Like just to remind people that she's not fully an idiot. Yeah. Every now and then. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um I think Costelli just has like a really big ego. This is the part that made me question if they actually had sex or not. Not that it really matters, but this is what made me question it was he said he was married with kids the entire time that they had this like friendship affair, or whatever. And that he was the creative director. And he said, quote, she knew that I wouldn't marry her. We were friends, but in the deepest sense. You are So I just think she really values, like, masculine men and Mm -hmm. not masculine men. Like, values her relationships with men and, like, friendships with men. Because it makes her kind of feel euphoric in that way of, Mm. oh, I have, I have like really deep close man friends who don't want to fuck me and that makes me feel good about my own masculinity yes i agree she just wanted to be Um, one of the boys right yeah yes exactly and uh, yeah it just it makes sense like no wonder she invited all of these gay ballet dancers to her home she was like this is our gay guy summer like let's yes oh, oh my <laughs> god know? yes like she was just one of the gay dancers in her own head exactly um castelli also said that she was an alcoholic which is the first time that this is mentioned in the book which is shocking um because mm-hmm. they did talk about bill harkness being an alcoholic but 
she was oh wait no he doesn't say she was an alcoholic sorry 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 totally my bad i just misread my own note it says she was like an alcoholic um just in the sense of her like craving for destruction in her life is what he was talking about like her chaos and the ways that she like fucked with people and fucked with herself he was like you can save alcoholics for a while, but after they take one more glass, they end up going back to drinking. So he was right. like using a weird metaphor, uh, yeah, an addiction to metaphor, show that she yeah. was addicted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, awful, but to show that she was addicted to the chaos of her life and yeah, yeah, yeah. See, that's a, just another Which, instance of how cruelly this book is written. Like it's so exactly at every fucking turn. Everyone, every person who even, yes. like, has something good to say about her still ends up saying some fucked up shit about her that is, like, exactly twisted so judgmental. and, like, kind of misinterpreted. Yeah. Exactly. Because a lot of them are men, too. That's the thing. These are all men mm-hmm. that they're interviewing because she really only yes. had men in her life. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Especially at the and end. And whether they were gay or not, they looked at her as less than. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then she ends up going back to Bobby, which, like, yeah, they had a little break for a second, like, around the time that she was inviting, like, Eva, the psychic, to come over with her cat and all of that. Her Mm, and Bobby were on a little bit of a break. And I remember, right, and I remember Bobby being, like, it was actually really fucked up because she just kind of, like, stopped calling me, but she still had me posted up in this apartment on like 72nd street and i was just like living in an apartment that wasn't mine and i wasn't working or like paying any bills and i felt really weird about it like he was like i could have been like evicted any day i could have been charged for rent any day like she never did but i lived in a constant state of anxiety and i was like fuck like that sucks that's very joe alwyn (laughs) i could see joe just like in this apartment (laughs) that isn't his and he's like has to obey to King Taylor's every like request because he's like, please don't make me homeless. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. It's not funny and I'm not being serious. Um please. but yeah, that's where chapter ten ends is she gets back with Bobby, quote unquote, back with him. Quote unquote. <sighs> okay. Well, that is I feel like what have we learned since then? So it's definitely some of my main takeaways now that we have finished chapter 10. So we're about halfway through the book. Is that true? How many chapters are there? Yeah, there's 27 chapters. There's 27 chapters. So we're actually about a third of the way through. Um, yeah. Okay. So main takeaways that I have is... Holy shit, Salvador Dali spent so much time with her. Like, every chapter yeah. has a Salvador Dali mention. Like, that's kind yeah. of the thing that we're not taking in, uh, taking, talking about in the notes. It's like every yeah. party, it'll be like, and this is what, what Dali was doing when at yeah. the party. Like, at one point, like, I think um, Terry's debutante ball, he was like just signing napkins as like a party favor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, at another point, it's, like, when people are talking about how, like, annoying she was, it's, like, Salvador Dali was so furious that she didn't have a dinner at the dinner party. Like, it's just, it's, we're always talking about Salvador Dali, so that's very weird. Yeah. 
And again, makes sense why Taylor mentioned him directly in the song, because it really he yeah. comes up a lot. Um, and he painted the birdcage and he portrait of Edith. The birdcage, which is actually another thing that I'm so weirded out by. It's like, okay, so Salvador Dali was close enough to them that he painted this birdcage. Or, no, he was close enough to them that he was there constantly just signing napkins at Terry's debutante ball, but not close enough that he wouldn't be like, um, you treat your daughter horribly, I'm not going to hang out with oh, you I don't, anymore. I don't think that that was the culture then. I don't think you could tell <laughs> tell people how they were raising their kids or like, say, what? especially as rich people like that. Like, I genuinely don't think that... Wow rich people care enough to be like you're not treating your kid very well like yeah damn i guess you're right again it's just a very it's a world i can't imagine living in you know what i mean yeah that's why i'm like it doesn't make sense you're right it's hard (laughs) to suspend my disbelief that much um the other main thing is how um hard it is to really make sense chronologically of where we are everything feels uh, like so much longer ago than i know and also so much more recent than i can really comprehend and like the order of things is getting mixed up there's very little through lines mm -hmm. um but yeah i'm just excited to see like we have two more thirds of the book left like i can't even imagine what more of her life we can get into I think it's going to get into more of her kids and yeah. Um, yeah, like later in life, what the aftermath of all of her actions were, I guess. Right. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I keep thinking about how young she died and the fact that there's only seven years that pass between her deaths and this book's publication. So it will be really fascinating mm-hmm. to see if we're updated on the years since she died. Yeah. 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 I think this has been worth every minute that I've spent reading it, writing notes and recording about it though. I think that like, I'm so glad that we are doing this genuinely, no matter like how hard it is for us to like read it and like (laughs) keep everything organized and like unpack all of this shit. I'm so glad that we're reading it because it seems like a very close, close, like the closest analysis that we can get to like folklore and to Taylor without reading her lyrics which is what we do anyways too so exactly also i'm sorry if i'm complaining too much about the book ever to anyone i am i know it's annoying to listen to complaints so just bear with me no it's it's critical thoughts it's okay that's nice thank you Um, like jack said though this book is entirely or the rebecca harkness story is entirely not about taylor and it also is entirely about Taylor. Exactly. So that's the that's the scope I've been reading it with as well. Please, we have one request of you. It's one small, small request. It's so small, but so important. And that request is, of course, to stay, stay, stay gay for Tay. And Rebecca Harkness. Stay, stay, stay gay for Rebecca Harkness. I mean, this is thing. They're just talking on and on. Harkness blue, blue blood. This is good for business. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. But I'm just like, it's fucking lavender. <laughs> <laughs>